0: Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. And I want to talk about Isaiah chapter 40 this morning and uh, touch on it, maybe give a little different insight to what some of you discussed this morning. There was a I think 16 tables of people discussing the word of God, families and fathers and mothers and children. And it's so great to see. Isaiah chapter 40 is it's an awe-inspiring chapter in the book of Isaiah. And it's kind of tough to pick which one is the most awe-inspiring because there are more coming. When you get into the, the 50s, Isaiah 51 through 55, more just encouraging, wonderful comfort from the Word of God. But Isaiah 40, it opens with the idea of comfort. And it speaks to that. And the, the chapter points to Jesus in a most beautiful way. It speaks of comfort, comfort my people, says the Lord. And Then there's the the declaration of getting ready. Get ready and prepare. And that's a a pointing to John the Baptist who's going to proclaim that very word just before Jesus enters into his ministry. Make way, make straight the the road. Every mountain's going to be made low. Every valley's going to be lifted up. Every crooked road is going to be made straight as a highway of our God. And then the the sovereign Lord comes with power, and Isaiah 40 describes it, and he rules with a mighty arm, and he's mighty, and he's powerful. But it's such a beautiful picture too because it's not just a mighty, powerful uh, warrior God who comes stomping and crushing and conquering. No, it says he rules with a mighty arm but tends his flock like a shepherd he gathers lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart and he gently leads so it's a picture of our savior our glorious jesus strong and powerful gentle and tender and that's it's such a wonderful picture of the good shepherd and the passage Continues. Isaiah 40 continues and it repeats questions. Questions like this Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Now these questions are repeated as Isaiah goes over the attributes of God and he extols the attributes of God that God is awesome and in the full extent of the word that that it would be awe inspiring that God would cause you to tremble before him he's awesome and almighty indescribable incomparable The incomparable God, Isaiah, also then repeats the question after he describes him. To whom will you compare God? He puts that question out there a couple times. God's not some kind of idol that you can make with your hands. Can you make God out of gold? And yet Isaiah says, you make a God out of gold. And if you can't afford gold, Then you go to wood and you pick some kind of precious wood and you have an idol made there, but that's not our God, is it? How could our God be something you made? That doesn't even make sense. No, he says God is enthroned above the earth. He sits above the earth. He stretches out the the heavens like a canopy. He is in control over princes and kings. He is almighty not man-made. And, and everything else is in submission to God. Now, Isaiah repeats it in different ways and at several times and in such a grand and great fashion, describing just such an, an awesome God, the God that we're worshiping this morning. And he concludes his thoughts at the close of the chapter this way. And this was part of our Friday. And it reads like this. I want to read verses 27 to the last verse, verse 31 of Isaiah chapter 40. And this is what it says. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired and weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, and his understanding, uh, and increase the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Line after line through this chapter, line after line. The greatness of God, the greatness of God, this God that sits enthroned above the whole earth with everything under his authority and his power. And yet, what does Isaiah say? There are complainers. Why do you complain? The prophet asked. Why do people complain? Why do we complain? typically because there's we have some dissatisfaction. S- something is wrong to us. And complaining is an expression of that dissatisfaction. And there's many ways to express our dissatisfaction. As a matter of fact, there's about as many ways to complain and express our dissatisfaction as there are things to complain about. And there many types of complainers. Now, here's a few. I wonder if you've ever met these complainers. Have you ever met the chronic complainer? Chronic complainer. Never satisfied. Never satisfied. Always got a beef with something. Sometimes we say about the chronic complainer, that person isn't happy unless they're complaining. Have you ever met someone like that? And then there's the, the whiner. Have you ever met a whiner? Everything hurts. Everything hurts. Everything is a pain. And, and so the complaining's always connected to pain. Oh, it's so hot. I'm gonna faint. Oh, it's killing me. All this fabric, it's horrible. Who makes this? It's causes me to chafe and itch. It's giving me hives. And then there's the nitpickers. You you know a nitpicker? It's every little thing. This is great ice cream, isn't it? Oh, but these Oreo chunks, they're too big. (laughs) Did you see that movie? I I liked it. I liked it. But they should fire the wardrobe person, don't you think? It was was supposed to be about the 60s, and the bell-bottoms were definitely bigger in the 60s. I mean, it's every little thing. How about the grouch? Have you ever met a grouch? The crotchety, irritable curmudgeon. And he's a little related to the chronic complainer. But with the grouch, it isn't just that he isn't happy unless he's complaining. He isn't happy unless he ruins your day, too. I'm sure you've... You probably run into a whaler. Oh, woe is me. Oh everything's terrible. Woe is me. The whaler wants to make a scene, right? Because for the whaler, it's really not so much about the complaint, as much as it's about me. Please notice me. Notice my plight. And then there's quiet complainers, very subtle. Perhaps even silent. And even though they may not voice their complaint, they're churning inside. They might have a burning ulcer, a bleeding ulcer, because they're keeping that all in. They're stewing. And they might just turn and walk away. to go off and stew. And there's other types of complainers you could probably... You could probably name some, maybe a, like an objector, somebody who's always got a reason to shut you down and tell you why you're wrong. Or a grumbler, a grumbler who mumbles something under their breath. You know, the Bible calls them murmurers. They're, they're, they're saying something uh, under their breath. There's many, many kinds of complainers. Why do we complain? Why do you complain? Ask the prophet. I'm guessing Isaiah was familiar with the many types of complainers because people are people. And as history changes, and scenes change, and times change, and technology changes, people are still people. And I'm guessing Isaiah was familiar with every type Of complainer and complaints. Just as we are. But he wasn't pointing out that they were complaining against him. He he wasn't upset that they would maybe point the finger at him. No, it was these people had a beef with God. God doesn't see me. God doesn't even know I'm here. God doesn't care about me. My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by God. This this was the complaint that Isaiah said the folks had. And why do you complain like that, he asked. This was a question that's coming before people almost 2,800 years ago. That's 750 B.C., But I think that question transcends time. I think that question is as relevant today as it was 2,800 years ago. Deep down, I think all of us have wrestled with this at one time or another. God doesn't see me. God, you have disregarded What I am going through, where are you? It's as if I don't exist. You do not really care about me. Everybody else you seem to care about, but God, not me. You have disregarded my cause. Lord, you've disregarded my need. Now, some of us might chronically complain about it. Now, others might whine and wail and... And there's others that just walk away. They just walk away from the Lord and they walk away from their faith. I was talking to a mom earlier this week and she was telling me about her son in his 20s. And he said to his mother, I don't believe this stuff anymore. And he just walked away. Walked away from his faith, walked away from God, walked away from the Christianity that he was raised in. Now, there were struggles in the family. Life wasn't always perfect. But I don't know if there's anyone here who could raise their hand and say, yeah, my life has been perfect. And they had a number of years of real difficulty within uh, the family. And this young man came to the conclusion, God doesn't see God doesn't care. Why should I even believe this stuff? Tired and weary of all of it. And believing God must not care. No tantrum. No wailing. He just walked away. Now Isaiah was aware of all of the complainers. Whether they were vocal Whether they were just walking away, I believe he understood that. And he made a point to address them. Why do you complain? But he didn't pile on. Isaiah didn't rip them apart. He did not take them to task. Remember that this chapter, Isaiah chapter 40, it opens with this line, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. So Isaiah wasn't bringing a word of judgment. He wasn't bringing ridicule or derision on the complainers. Instead, encouragement. He wanted to lift them up, bring them out of that state of complaint. And so the questions that he posed earlier were repeated. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Know what? Know what? Heard what? The Lord is the everlasting God. He's the creator of of the ends of the earth. And this is a summary of all the virtues that he has extolled earlier in the chapter. And so if you have a whine or a grumble, consider it. Consider that your Lord, your God is all-powerful and he's everlasting, and he's the creator of everything. And Isaiah has emphasized this. We heard a couple of weeks ago when uh, Brother Rob Susan was talking that repetition in the Hebrew, this is emphasis. It's a way to emphasize. They weren't writing with, they didn't have all the great things we have. They didn't have the bolding and changing of fonts and all of that. They would repeat. This was the style. It's it's repeated. It's emphasized. And Isaiah's emphasized this by repetition. Let it sink in. Your God is not a God that's man-made. Your God is not a God of gold or or wood or any such thing. And then the prophet adds this. Our God, your God, will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. Well, that's all great, right? That's all great. And I can hear the voice of those who've got the complaint, those who feel abandoned by God. They could say, Of course, Isaiah, we've heard it. We have heard it. You're not telling us anything new. But what of it? Okay, God is great. And you're right, you're right, prophet. We cannot fathom the mind of God. We don't understand. We don't understand why he doesn't see us. We don't understand why he doesn't care about us. And the prophet, as if he anticipates that that is going to be the response, he kept going. And he wrote, God gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even the youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. So he put out a contrast to these people. He put out a contrast for them to consider. You're weary. You're weary. I get it. But God gives strength to the weary. And, it, and he paints this contrast for them. It says, young men will grow tired and they'll become weak and they'll stumble and fall. But. And that, that word, that conjunction, but, it introduces a term. It introduces the contrast. But, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. So what is the contrast that he's really presenting? He's presenting a contrast of Self-reliance versus God-reliance. Self-reliance versus Jesus-reliance. Can you hear the word of the Lord? Rise up, be renewed, regain your strength. We, We heard that declared to us this morning. If you have a complaint, if you have a complaint... Isaiah's painting it like you're like the young man, you're like the strong young person, the strong and healthy person. You can power through things for a time, you can stand the heat of the day for a while. But eventually, eventually, you're gonna burn out, eventually, you're gonna run out of strength eventually you are going to stumble and fall. All that strength, all that stamina, it's not like the Lord's. And that's the picture of someone trying to do it all on their own. They're inevitably going to slip. But consider now those who hope in the Lord. Consider the contrast. What is it? What is it that embodies hope? Hope is a waiting, it's a patience with expectation. I loved Brother Rob standing up here this morning saying, I'm expecting something. I am expecting something. Yes, he is a great anticipation. He's waiting with expectant anticipation with a great hope. In other English versions of this passage, it reads this way. They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. Waiting, waiting with an expectation, an anticipation, that's hope. I, I, I was watching a bit of uh, Robert Mueller's testimony this week. You know, it was a, a big week in Washington, D.C. with uh, that man's testimony. And I try to keep up, I watch it a bit, and he got a question and I'll, I'll just say, I forget, I totally forget what the, what the question was. But this was his answer. His answer was, I hope this is not the new normal, but I fear it is. And I thought to myself, how is that hope? If, if you couple it with fear, if hope is coupled with fear, well, that's no hope at all, is it? And, of course, I think that's exactly, precisely what the man was trying to say. This is hopeless. Whatever the question was he, was, he was trying nicely to say, you got no hope, because he said, I fear. Real hope is positive. Real hope is a positive anticipation. It's not a negative anticipation. I mean, do you hope that your you know, house is going to burn down or, you know, you're going to have some tragedy in your life? Oh, hope is a confident expectation of something good to come, to wait in, t- in anticipation of God. It's a hope in God. Now, that's something that's significant. What does this hope in God anticipate? Well, contrary to the complainers, those who hope in the Lord can expect something. They can expect a renewal, a revitalization, a replenishment, a restoration of strength. Those who hope in the Lord can expect a change for the better. And that's what the word renew is all about. Or the phrase, I'll say, will renew. It's an interesting Hebrew word that gets translated to the English, will renew. The word is kalaf. And it's often translated in the Old Testament, change. Most often, as a matter of fact, the word is translated change. And in the form of the word, the tense of the word that Isaiah is using here, it means to change, to alter, change for the better, to renew. Now, this is the same word that is used when God said to Jacob, Go to Bethel and build me an altar. And Jacob said, to all of his household. Hey, the Lord said we got to go to Bethel and I'm going to build an altar. So clean yourselves up. Be clean and call off. Change your garments. Take off that dirty stuff and put on the clean. And when Pharaoh called for Joseph to come up out of the prison and he wanted Joseph to have an audience with him, Joseph had been in a dungeon prison. He wasn't fit to go before the king of Egypt. So we, we read, he shaved and chalaf, he changed his garments. After a week of fasting, King David laying on the floor, seven days fasting and praying, he arose and he washed and he anointed himself. and cloth. He changed his apparel. Now, this is the sense of renewal that Isaiah is putting forth to these people, like laying aside a a worn and dirty piece of clothing to put on something clean and new. They're revitalized. Hope changes. Hope in the Lord changes. It changes attitudes and it changes outlooks when you truly have a hope in Almighty God. Hope in the Lord can change pessimism to praise. It can bring renewal and a change of strength. Self-reliance leads to fainting. Self-reliance leads to stumbling and falling, complaining against God. But hope in the Lord, God reliance, Jesus reliance, it can yield a change of strength. Giving you ability that you didn't probably even think you were capable of to carry on, to persevere, to see things through, to weather any storm. And Isaiah describes this this change. For those who hope in the Lord, giving three illustrations to us. If you hope in the Lord, what can you expect? Soar like on wings of an eagle to run and not grow weary and walk and not faint. So there's three illustrations here. There's three pictures. There's three images for us to consider. The image of of a flyer like an eagle soaring. And then the racer, those who are, are running and yet not growing weary. And then there's the picture of pilgrims. Pilgrims walking, walking to a, a distant destination which was common for the people of Isaiah's time. And here, Isaiah pictured walking a long pilgrimage without fainting. So, so in the first illustration, hope changes. Hope changes to flying, soaring as if on, on the wings of an eagle. From down in the dumps, from, from a, a complaining curmudgeon to soaring. Now what a picture that is. And the picture here is there's no weak bird. This is the picture of an eagle some of the eagles in, in the Mideastern area there, their wingspan can go to seven feet. This is a beautiful picture of soaring the weak believer by waiting on God, by hoping in the Lord, become strong in the Lord and mighty in his power. The grace of God strengthens. And it can take a soul to mount heavenward, upward, And carry you above the world and all the things that that would bring you down in the world. This is to me, it's a picture of a promise of eternity, soaring to eternal life, heavenward, because our hope is in God, and not just any God, but the God who became a a man, the God who said, I'll come down to earth. I want to bring you up. I'll come down to earth and be with my creatures. Why? Because they've lost their way. They're steeped in sin. And they're destined to go further down below. But I want to give them a way to come up. And uh, Jesus is his name. Jesus is that God who said, I'm going to go and give you a way to fly. I'm going to go and give you a way to soar. And he bled and he died on the cross to make that way. So every single one of us could have eternal life. And one day we could fly away and soar to heaven, hope in him. And you'll be changed. You'll be changed to soar on the wings of an eagle to the heights of heaven. And now the second illustration, hope in him. And you can run like the racer and not grow weary. And what is the object of someone who's running a race? Well, in the New Testament, Paul, the apostle says it's to finish well. He said, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. He wrote to his friend Timothy. And now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord Jesus, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And in Hebrews chapter 12, we read uh, a passage like this, verses 1 to 3, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition for sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. See, a runner has the end in mind. A runner has the goal in mind. A runner sees the finish line even at the start. Consider Jesus, hope in Jesus that you might be changed to run in this life so that you will not grow weary and that you will not lose heart and that you will finish well. Isaiah gives us this great description of the soarers flying high, of the runners running onward. And then the third, the third illustration is the pilgrims, the pilgrims proceeding with purpose. We who believe in Jesus Christ, we're on a pilgrimage, we're described in the New Testament multiple times as pilgrims. And we're on a pilgrimage to the city of God. But we've got to do it in this life, on this earth, knowing that our eternity is sure and it's in a place where our spirit will eventually soar as we keep our eye on the goal. That's Jesus. We still have the daily walk, don't we? We have the daily walk through this life, but hope in him. Hope in him can bring the change to walk without fainting, to remain empowered on our daily pilgrimage. Our daily walk, sometimes it feels like it's all uphill, doesn't it? Sometimes it's painful. It's like we got shin shin splints on our walk, or or there's pitfalls and we're we're falling down. Our daily walk, said the the Apostle Luke in his gospel, it requires self-denial. Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow Jesus. Now that might bring out some whining. I've got to carry a cross. Ooh, yeah, that could bring out some complaining. Taking up my cross can bring out the grouch in me, that's for sure. If my hope is not in the Lord Jesus Christ. But when it is, when it is, Hope changes. There comes a change. There comes renewal. For at the close of Isaiah chapter 40, it's not idle words. It's not idle words. It's a promise. It's a promise that's made to a downcast people. It's a promise made to people who have this complaint. People have considered, God's abandoned me. God has abandoned me and he doesn't care. But this is a promise that we can rest in. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar like eagles. They will run and they will not grow weary. They will walk and they will not faint. That same promise that Isaiah made to those people 2,800 years ago, it's available to you and it's available to me today. We need to take hold of it. We need to take hold of it. It's been made a reality in Jesus Christ. It's God's people. It's God's people who hope in Jesus. And we are soul-soaring eagles. We are eye-on-the-prize runners. And we are pilgrims walking every day with eternal purpose when our hope is in him. But I understand that daily walk sometimes it can drag us down. It can pull on our hope. It can can press down on our hope in Jesus. But I want you to know today hope changes. Hope changes outlooks. Hope changes attitudes. Hope can change your reality when it's hope in Jesus Christ. And, And if there's anyone in this room and you haven't figured that out yet you haven't received that in your heart it has, that light bulb hasn't turned on to you you can just present your heart before him this morning and say you know I need that hope I need that I've been weary you know, or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time but something's happened in your life an issue a storm a trial whatever life Life, the daily walk, the daily pilgrimage. And it's kind of yanked you down a little bit. Jesus, I got a hope in you. I have a hope in you. And I want to latch on to that promise and believe it with all my heart. They that hope in the Lord will renew their strength, change. They will change me. So I want to pray with you. I want to pray with everyone in here. If you've never received Jesus Christ or if you're just dealing with something, you know him as Lord and Savior and you need to have that just renewed in you, let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we pray. God, we ask. If there's anyone here, anyone who's just talking to you right now to the depths of their heart, I don't have this hope. What he's talking about, the change. I don't even know if I believe it could be real. But I want to. I want to believe it can be real. I want to latch on to this Jesus. I want to change my life. Cast aside the the things that have pulled me down and say, Jesus, whatever you want from me, I'll give it to you. I'll do what you ask. I'll put aside my old life of uh, sin that's besetting me. And say, renew me, renew me, change me, change me. I want that hope that changes. God, if there's anyone praying that this this morning in here, well, touch their heart, receive their prayer. And any here who, who've known you and they've walked with you, but they've been discouraged about something, they might have even felt, oh God, where are you? Lord, you've... Seems like you care about everyone else but me. God, help to renew that hope, put that hope of the realness of Christ, that Jesus can renew strength, can lift us, lift us up, set us running with our aim right and give us the strength for our daily walk. God, touch every heart, touch every heart that might be praying that today. I thank you, Lord. I thank you and I praise you in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.